Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Really excited to welcome Sean Natalin, the head lacrosse coach at Towson University, to the Philosophy Podcast. Uh, Nads has been there for eight years, been to four NCAA tournaments, won a host of CAA titles, and took his team to the Final Four in 2017 and had a great season this past year with a heartbreaking loss to Maryland. But just a, you put together another great season. Uh, Nads, really fired up to have you on the show. Yeah, me too. Very excited to be on it and excited to, to talk across with you, my man. Yeah, awesome. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Well, um, so we were just kind of wrap, uh, chatting before this thing got started about, you know, this uh, transition from, you know, in-season where all you can think of is, you know, uh, the next game to into uh, recruiting, but are you enjoying switching gears and getting yourself ready to build for the next uh, go round? Uh, I am, you know, it, it took me a little while after the, the sting of the, the loss in the first round to kind of get past that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've been able to get past that and been able to kind of refocus, um, you know, get, get our sights set on what we need to do to finish out recruiting for the 2020 class, obviously start gearing up to, to start looking at the 21s, um, you know, be able to, to spend a little bit of time with the family, which I always enjoy and can't get enough of, um, you know, we just celebrated uh, um, the first birthday of our, of our third child on the 31st. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a fun time to, you know, as school's finishing up for them, you know, and, you know, we're switching gears into recruiting where, um, you travel more than you do during the season. So you actually, uh, you miss being around the family more during the summer. Um, it's good to spend a, a little bit more time with them. Hopefully one of these days, your third child will have her, his or her birthday on game day. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. I know he was born actually um, when they presented a tour time uh, last year. That was, you know, that was pretty neat to, to have the, uh, on the same date. So uh He's already he's already showing tendencies and uh, chasing balls around uh, the kitchen floor and uh, we have a, a a lacrosse shaft that we use as a um, as a doorstop for one of our sliding glass doors and he gets to that and he grabs it and he starts starts showing some some cradle tendencies so we might start him a little bit younger than we did with the other ones. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, one of the awesome things about coaching college lacrosse is that you do get to press reset and get started on the next phase. Um, and it just keeps you going, I think. Um, and like you said, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes in the summer, you don't get to see your kids as much, but it's just nice to have your kids around the program too. It's just so much fun. Um, but I wanted to dive into um, kicking this, this podcast off with talking about, you know, uh, your coaching journey and your playing journey. And if what I, I love to hear about where guys came from, 
who had, who were their mentors. Um, and uh, you can kind of kick that off um, if you would um, with, with high school and right up into, you know, your time at Hopkins and then your coaching journey through Princeton and so on and so forth. And we'll talk a little bit about your pro playing days along the way, if you don't mind. Sure. Sounds good. Um, yeah, my, you know, my coaching journey and then playing journey, fortunately, kind of coincided uh, for quite a bit uh, in, in the college ranks and, and pro ranks. Um, but taken back to, to high school, uh, growing up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, I went to Rush Henrietta High School, um, you know, a decent sized public school. Um, you know, my graduating class was a little over 300, but uh, unfortunately, we couldn't generate a ton of guys for the lacrosse team. Uh, we had, um, you know, roughly anywhere from 16 to 18 guys on our team uh, any given year. My freshman year, I was able to play varsity, uh, fortunately, with my brother, who was a senior. Uh, my brother was a, a, a huge influence on me uh, in my development and love for the game. He was a face-off guy, ended up playing at Nazareth uh, when they were a dominant force in the mid-90s. I got to watch him compete and play in four national championship games and, and win two of them. Wow. Um, and I just, that fueled my fire, you know, every year, you know, being able to watch him and, and see what he was able to do and, and the success he had and the level that they played at was, was an amazing experience to, to be around. And, uh, you know, we got started from my dad who uh, went to, to high school in general Brown high school up in Watertown, New York. Um, you know, we, we started on a, uh, on his wooden stick that he used in high school and then the old PL 77 that he cut down for us. Um, and uh, it was just, uh, it was a lot of fun to, to be a part of it at a young age and um, to, to learn from my dad and my brother. And into high school, I learned from, you know, some, some legends in the area. Uh, Jim Cox was my uh, high school coach and uh, he had been a, a long time high school coach and uh, just, you know, allowed creative play, uh, gave you some structure uh, but again, with with minimal numbers, um, only one goalie on the roster, only three long stick defenders on the roster. You had to learn to to do a lot of different things, and um, yeah, I think that was a you know was uh, helpful in in my development, being a midfielder in high school uh, and being able to to work my way through offensive and defensive. Grab the long stick when somebody got a penalty. I had to fake off, you know, so did a lot of different things, um, yeah. which which was a lot of fun. Um, and you know, bad that kids don't get to do that more often, frankly. I mean, they get so specialized at such an early age, like being an LSM at age 10. You know, sure. how about just like learn to play the game? Yeah, it, it, again, I, I saw it as a blessing in disguise. Uh, didn't realize it at the time. You know, my brother was a midi, so I wanted to be a midi. He faced off, so I tried facing off, you know, just trying to emulate him, um, you know, and, and being able to watch. Nazareth games, Hobart games, Syracuse games, you know, growing in upstate New York, um, you know, and, and trying to, you know, I remember watching, you know, big time coaches, you know, right now with, you know, Jeff Dambroni when he was at Hobart, you know, he was a college counselor when I was at Hobart lacrosse camp and, and Bobby Wynn who's at Salisbury school. I remember those guys, you know, and, and, yeah. Irwin, and guys like that and then idolizing the Gate brothers and, and seeing what they did on the field was, was a lot of fun um, along with the Nazareth guys that, I still get to play with up in Placid, but um, you know that that transitioned me into into college and having an opportunity to go to uh, Johns Hopkins, being recruited by Coach Seaman and Coach Petramala. Um, again, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of club lacrosse, especially in my area, so I got exposed through 
um, the Empire State Games and uh, top 205 lacrosse camp. And, um, you know, fortunately they saw something in me and uh, I was able to, to make it work. Didn't have a ton of opportunity. I wasn't a great student, um, but uh, they found a way to make it work and, and help me get in. And I uh, couldn't have been more blessed and fortunate for that. And um, uh, my career at Hopkins was, um, you know, it was awesome, but also challenging. We had three different head coaches in my four years there. Uh, with, with Coach Seaman, who recruited me as a freshman. Um, and, um, you know, I, I thought I'd go in there and then be in a midi in high school. You know, I thought I'd go in and be able to play, you know, offensive midfield. And, you know, after the fall ball, you know, him and, and Coach Volker, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, sat down and, like, you could try to keep playing offense and, and probably not see the field this year or, you know, you could really embrace a defensive midfield role and, and probably get, you know, a lot of time on the field. So, um, obviously, I, I took that and wanted to, to get on the field and was able to as a freshman and play defensive midfield for my freshman, sophomore year. Uh, coach Hawes came in um, my sophomore year, and um, so he was the head coach my sophomore and junior year. And then uh, I switched to long stick midi my junior year. And um, so I played that, I think, for about four games. And then one of our close defenders got hurt. Uh, so they brought me down to close defense midway through the junior year and played primarily close defense to finish out my career at Hopkins. Uh, and in my senior year, Coach Pretamala um, became the head coach um, who we had a prior relationship from being recruited when he was an assistant. So a really neat path, you know, being able to to learn um, under three different head coaches. Uh, the constant was Brian Volker, who was our defensive coordinator. He was there for uh, three and a half years, um, which you know really helped me personally in, in my development as a defensive player um, and, and still hold him in, in regard to a mentor uh, this day, uh, along with uh, those other guys um, that have helped me uh, along the way, the, the other head coaches. but. Definitely three three different styles, three different you know ways to, to go about coaching, which really intrigued me into into being a coach and being able to influence and, and impact um, young men in, in college across and, and be able to move on from there. Yeah, really cool. And um, with Volks, you know, being a, a mentor and a Hopkins guy, Hopkins great, um, and now a competitor in your conference, and you guys get to go head to head as uh, Volks is the head coach at Drexel. Um, what what are some of the things that you can point back to that you've learned or taken from your time playing for uh, Volks? Um, you know, he did a great job letting you utilize your your talents. Um, he didn't try to make you too robotic. Um, he kind of catered to what you were able to do. You know, as an athlete and as a defender, if you're able to, you know, be you know, if you had good hands and could throw some checks, you know, he'd give you some freedom for that. You know, if you were just, you know, like myself, I was more just a position defender. You know, I could move my feet, didn't know how to throw checks because I would be midi. So uh, he just taught me how to to play angles really well. You know, how to understand, how to play angles from behind the cage, be able to make contact, you know, at certain points on the field and stay, stay hands-on with guys and, and be physical uh, there. Um, you know, definitely helped my stick skills a lot by challenging us, you know, with what we did in practice with our, our skill development. Um, you know, I was not, and still, I'm not a, a great stick handling guy. And, um, you know, Volks was, Volks had great hands and, and you know, always kind of emulated that, um, you know, when he got to see him practice with a stick in his hand and stuff. So, um, you know, he did a real good job just 
continuing to develop the, the mental edge and the compete level of, of really owning your matchup, but, you know, playing within the team system. Yeah. Folks, uh, student of the game and just a good dude uh, all around. Yeah. Um, pretty different personality uh, from an, uh, another great guy that you played for is uh, Coach Petro. So, like, uh, you know, Petro is not as laid back as Volks. Uh, both lefties, both Hopkins greats. Um, but uh, what did you sort of take from Petro um, when he came in, you know, as a first-year head coach at uh, Hopkins? Yeah, it was funny when um, when he had, when it was announced that he had gotten the job and, you know, being recruited by him and in my class being recruited by him, you know, we were excited. And But also listening to the, uh, the alumni that actually played for Coach Petro at Hopkins, you know, when he was assistant coach there. They're like, it, it, it's awesome, but good luck. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. It's on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, be ready. You know, be ready for it. And 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 it was awesome. I mean, he came in, you know, year one and, and really, um, you know, obviously was establishing what he wanted, you know, within the program. And, and us as, as a senior class, he leaned on us a lot to to, to make it work and, and make it go. And, and we were all in. And, um, you know, as a as a player underneath them, you know, really continuing to learn, you know, what it meant to, to prepare, you know, um, watching film, you know, in order to make yourself better, you know, how to really study film in an in-depth way, um, how to be uh, a better leader, um, you know, and, and to be, to give more of yourself, you know, as a, as a teammate it was something that I think he really did a good job of, of instilling in us. And then I was fortunate it was my senior year and, uh, was voted captain with two other of my um, roommates and, and teammates. And um, I wasn't a very um, vocal person, still not, um, not overly outspoken. You know, I, I you know, work hard and, and did what was asked, but, you know, really tried to cultivate me and, and coming out of my shell and, and being a better leader and, and being able to speak, you know, um, and communicate better as a defensive player, but also as a, as a leader. So really um, did a good job making me, I feel like, become a better teammate uh, as well as a, a, a better uh, defender by preparation. And then what about Coach Haas? What did you take from the two years uh, sandwiched between uh, Coach Seaman and – and we'll talk about Coach Seaman in a little bit, but between Coach yeah. Seaman and, and Coach Petro. Yeah, um, you know, Coach Haas, you know, came in and – you know, had great energy. Um, I knew him, I knew of him a little bit from his days at Washington College and my brother going against those guys. So, you know, always saw his programs, you know, and then how competitive they were and how hard they scrapped on the field. And, um, you know, Coach Harles is a, is a hardworking guy, you know, and he's, um, you know, he was a guy that, again, um, didn't, didn't say too much, uh, but when he did, you know, when he did speak and coach, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of meaning behind it, a lot of emphasis behind it. And, you know, demanded, uh, um, you know, the best out of you, you know, and, and really wouldn't settle for less. And, you know, some of his practices were um, were grueling um, and they didn't have to be overly long, but you worked your butt off for however long it was going to be. And then through the drills and, you know, some of the drills, you know, you, you sit back and think, you know, afterwards, like, man, that that just happened. <laughs> you know, he, he really squeaked a lot out of you. And, um, you know, I think I learned in regards to, you know, again, uh, an elevated work ethic, you know, through practice and then how to um, really find more within yourself when you feel like, um, you know, you feel like practice is just wearing you down, 
you know, being able to, to look at your teammates and just keep going at it, you know, um, through the drills and keep competing with that. And, and Coach Hollis was a guy that, you know, did a good job motivating you to do that and, and to be on board with, um, with what the team needed. Yeah. Uh, really, I, I felt like Coach Hawes, I was a young coach when he made the move from, you know, right. I think I just got the job in Denver right around the time he was making the move to, uh, to go to Carolina. And he was just always a nice down to earth guy, you know, mm -hmm. like no pretentiousness whatsoever. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you said, quiet. So you don't really know, you yeah. know, what, what's going on in there, but uh, just a really good dude. Um, he, was a, he was a great family man, too. He would bring, you know, obviously, you know, guys, you know, in the lacrosse world probably know John and his boys, John and Will. And, um, uh, you know, there's Luke and Grant and stuff now, too. And uh, those guys would be on bus trips with us at a young age. And uh, and I wasn't a, a back of the bus guy. I was more kind of in the middle of the bus. But, you know, John and, and those guys would be at the back of the bus with Brian Cacatera and Always. some of those other guys. So they got, you know, they got quite a bit of an education, I think, being on the road with us. and. You know, that allowed us as a, as a team, I think, to see Coach Hawes, again, a little bit more in-depth than just being out of practice. I remember when, I think it was my junior year, his last year there, um, his wife was pregnant with their fourth boy, and he was due right around our tournament time. And um, he had one of the old, you know, he had a flip phone that if, you know, his wife, I think, went into labor, that she was going to contact him. And sure enough, we're on the back practice field at Hopkins, and uh, his phone starts going off in his pocket and he, he, he fumbles around to actually get it out of his pocket and picks, you know, he's looking at it. He's just like, I don't know what to do with this. He hands it to, to coach Cavallaro, Todd Cavallaro, who's our offensive coordinator at the time. He's like, Cavi, Cavi, this thing's ringing, but I don't know how to answer it. You know, you gotta, you gotta answer this thing for me. So Cavi opens it up and then presses the button. And sure enough, uh, she went to, uh, she had gone into labor, I think with Grant, uh, who's their fourth child at the time. And it was just, you know, yeah, he is who he was, and, and he, you know, he wasn't bashful about it, and, you know, he would run home, I think, you know, probably upwards of, you know, a half marathon, you know, every, you know, during the nice days and up Falls Road and stuff. He was just, he was just a hardworking, hardworking guy. Yeah, yeah. Down to earth, definitely. So you graduate, you end up getting drafted by the Bayhawks, you play pro lacrosse, and you join the staff at Princeton. That was what, 2002 through 2004, so you won a championship. You came in right after a championship at Princeton and then were able to win one as an assistant in 2004, Ryan Boyle's senior year. But uh, what was that? I mean, talk about, you know, getting an induction into, you know, some of the greatest coaching minds ever, um, you know, Bill Tierney and Princeton lacrosse in there at sort of at the end of their heyday. Yeah, it was, um, it was amazing. And I, I kicked myself for, for not doing a better job of, you know, basically bringing a video camera into the office every day, just to be able to, to, to go back and, and just go back on the lessons and the conversations and, you know, between Coach Tierney and Coach Metzbauer, who, you know, and in my mind are, are two of the greatest minds in lacrosse um, ever. And, um, you know, being able to, to come in year one after they had just got a, you know, in 2001, they won the championship my senior year in college. And then in 2002, you know, coming in off the heels of that, um, you know, with guys that I competed against, you know, it was interesting, um, you know, but Coach D did a good job of, you know, making sure, you know, that just communicating to me on, on how I need to kind of have that, that line of, of separation. And I can't, you know, I can't be, you know, 
friends with these guys and, and you know, things like that. You're here to be the coach and help them get better, which was, you know, a good lesson. And, you know, he and his, his wife, Helen, took me into their home, you know, for the first few weeks while I was getting settled up and, you know, kind of allowed me insight into him as a, him as a man beyond the coach. And, and you know, he was you know, kind of that. Um, that secondary father figure for me as I got into the, into the working world, which was you know really uh, really appreciated in a great way. Um, but being able to be in the office, you know, with him and Metsy every day, and um, the conversations that they had, the conversation that, that we had, the conversation that happened um, when the players came in to, to talk about playing time, to talk about um, you know issues that happened, um, you know that they had to, to, to get through, you know, whether it be academic or disciplinary and, and things like that. Just, uh, again, you know, as a player, I don't think you really understand what really goes into coaching, you know, especially at the college level. And uh, that was a, a tremendous experience for me. And um, to see, really to see the conversations, you know, that uh, Coach Matz and, and Ryan Boyle had. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that was just awesome. Yeah, that was just a lot of fun to be there fly on the wall. I mean, Ryan still, I regard as, as probably, you know, if not the smartest, one of the smartest lacrosse players, you know, to, to ever play this game. You know, and the more you see him, the more you're around him, the, you know, the more you see that. And uh, those guys would just, you know, sit down and just talk lacrosse. And it was just really neat to see them come up with game plans and, and ways to attack and, and ways to manipulate defenses and stuff like that. So, um you know, it was definitely a, a great experience, something that um, really opened my eyes into the coaching world and then um, really created a, more of an appetite for me to to want to be a part of it and want to be a part of it at, at the highest level, you know, and being able to play in a championship game my first year as, a, as an assistant coach was exciting. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we lost to Syracuse in the championship game, so that's, um, you know, it's kind of bittersweet with that. Uh, went to the, I think, quarterfinals the next year, uh, lost to Houston and Dome after beating them in the, in the regular season, and then uh, lost to Navy in the final four my last year there uh, when Navy made the run uh, to championship weekend um, at M&T Bank Stadium. So it was, uh, it was a great three years, you know, it taught me so much about the, the coaching world, uh, as well as, you know, really how to develop um, and be able to spend some time with you know, time with guys on an individual basis, as well as the, the team concepts of, of coaching. You're right. I, I forgot. I was thinking that you guys won it in 04, but I forgot. 01 was the last championship. So Boyle was a freshman then when they won that. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yep. So Boyle was a freshman. Yep. Got it. That's right. Yeah. Um, and Mikey Powell was nemesis. I mean, he was the guy that everybody's talking about now when they talk about a Pat Spencer or Grant Ament. Um, Man, that guy, I mean, everybody knows this, but that guy was so electric. It was insane. Yeah, he was, he was unreal. And, um, I mean, that was back in the days when teams still played on AstroTurf, turf too. So, <laughs> he, Grant, Grant's quick and, you know, uh, he's, he's quicker on field turf and Michael Sowers, you know, those guys are, you know, quick as could be and, and they'd be, you know, just, you know, that much quicker on, on AstroTurf. And, and that's what Mikey played on in the dome and, in other in other fields and you know he was just I mean definitely one of the toughest matchups I've ever had to face um, you know in, in my career overall and but just such a guy that that loves the game and respects the game the right way and 
um, you know, played it the right way. And, and it was just a, you know, a pleasure to compete against and, and to play with them actually for, for a year with yeah. the uh, Bayhawks. Right. Yeah. Well, so all along the way that you're, you know, forging your path as a coach, you're also playing professionally at relatively a new position, right? Cause you started playing close defense as a junior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was it like to, you know, from your coach's development as you were kind of going through your player development? It was, I think, um, really something that that allowed me to, I think, be a better coach because I was able to keep the player perspective in check, you know, because I was still a player on a team as well as coaching, you know, college kids. So um, I was still in the environment where, you know, when you made a mistake and then and the coach gets on you, you know, what does that feel like? You know, what is that really like? So I think it, it allowed me in my in my coaching to understand that when a player makes a mistake most likely they're not trying to make a mistake right there and you know do you need to jump down their throat and then you know scream and yell at them or do you need to you know pull them aside or you know don't say anything and just kind of let it roll and then you know if it happens again in, in a similar situation then you know address it and things like that so um you know it was it was challenging because you're, you know, you're just going, I was going full across um, year round with coaching, you know, cause there's, there's no off season as you, you know, you're in season during the spring and fall. And then you're, you're always recruiting year round. Um, the pro league um, outdoors started. Um, I think at that time it started uh, right at the end of the, the college season. So I think late April into May, uh, and that went to the end of August. And then uh, you had about a month, month and a half before indoor started. You know, we started practices in indoor in November and um, games actually started in December um, when I was when I first got into the NLL as well. Um, that went until, you know, April, you know, as well. So um, it was crazy and fun all at the same time. And it, it kept me uh, out of a lot of trouble, you know, being able to <laughs> you know, stay focused and locked in. And, um, but, you know, the perspective it continued to give me um, from playing professionally and, and being coached still to then going and, and coaching 18 to 22 year olds, I think helped me um, manage that better and, and maybe be a, a better uh, coach to the college kids in, in a more understanding way. Um, but it also allowed me to, to bring some creativity to our practices you know, learning some different styles through the different coaches that I had um, professionally, both indoor and outdoor, different drills, um, different, you know, different systems, um, different things that had to go about. Um, definitely allowed me perspective. And, you know, again, I had a ton of coaches indoor, um, quite a few different coaches outdoor. So not only going from three different head coaches in, in college, I had a lot of different head coaches, you know, through, through my professional days. And, took little nuggets from all of them um, and, and trying to understand what best fit in with my personality and how I could adapt and, and try to grow and, and be better with all of them uh, throughout it all. But it was, uh, it was an amazing experience and very thankful and fortunate that, that Coach Pierney and Coach Seaman allowed me to do it for as long as I did. And yeah, totally. thankful that I stayed healthy for it as well. That's the hard part. I, I, I coached at Yale from 91 to 98, and I was excited to play indoor. 
um, it was before the MLL and Seal just played club and coach Waldvogel was like, yeah, no problem. You just can't miss anything. And I was, you know, which is reasonable. Um, yeah. but it was impossible. You know, you just, you right. got for one season until I couldn't, you know, show up anymore. And then that, they were like, this is really not going to work. So yeah, you had like teams that were a little closer. I was living in New Haven and had to travel two and a half hours to Boston. Yeah. Uh, but it is hard. Yeah. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, wait, um, yeah there'd, be different, there'd be different games, you know, if it was indoor, you know, I played out of Philly for the majority of my career, but I also played, you know, uh, New Jersey Storm when they first had a team and also Minnesota for half a season yeah. in expansion. And um, I remember that first that first plane ride to Minnesota, they put me on a flight from, I think it was uh, uh, Baltimore to Atlanta to, to Minnesota, you know, just to get there. And I was like, I don't know how much is it, this is going to work if this is out of the way, but I mean, we'd get done with a game, uh, uh, an afternoon game at Towson, and my wife would have the, the car ready. I'd have my lunch in there, and we'd jump <laughs> up 95 to, to Philly, and, you know, I'd be eating, you know, eating a pregame meal on the car ride, try to catch a, you know, try to decompress for about, you know, 30, 45 minutes um, and get on the, you know, get on the floor and be ready to go. I remember showing up, you know, they'd want me out to, to Denver for a night game, and with the time difference, you know, I'd, I'd zip down to BWI, get on a flight, and get out there and, and literally run onto the floor for the first time, you know, for the opening face-off. You know, no warm-up, no nothing. You're out there ready to go. You know, Hunt's, Hunt's got a uh, guy to uh, – it was a, a Towson professor who actually uh, owned a, a small little plane, a little two-seater uh, prop jet – or prop plane um, that he had uh, down at the, the little municipal airport here, uh, down at Glen Burnie. And um, there was a game up in, in Newark, New Jersey, and he's like, yeah, this guy says he'll, he'll take you up. And, you know, this was kind of in the middle of March, um, you know, to get up for a Wings game and got down my towels again, get there. I'm in a suit. This guy's, you know, pushing the plane out of the uh, out of the garage, you know, to, to be able to get on this thing and take off. And, I mean, it smelled it smelled like a garage, old and greasy. And it happened to be one of the windiest days uh, on the record. So, uh, and I, I do okay on flights. But by the time we landed, I mean, even he was just like, it's going to take me a couple hours to to kind of get my feet back underneath me before I, I turn this thing around and, and get back to Baltimore. <laughs> so I had to roll into a, a game with, you know, with my stomach upside down. That was, that was challenging. So you played for coach Huntley in indoor and outdoor or just indoor? Yep. Both, both. So first, the first intro was outdoor with the Bayhawks. Um, and then uh, he was, you know, he got into the wings uh, action as well as a, as a head coach and stuff. And, uh, he was a guy that was uh, extremely influential in, in my development as a as a coach, as a person uh, overall. Um, just what a what a coach is, you know, a player's coach. And, yeah. um, He's yeah, the best. As a matter of fact, mannerism, his ability to to bring light and humor uh, in some of the most in, intense and and tough environments, and to to keep it in perspective. Um, there was no doubt about his passion and how much he cared, but um, he just had this amazing presence and amazing way to, uh, to, to say the right things the right way uh, at the right moments. And, um, you know, to see, to see that through the Bayhawks with Tony Rush and, and Gary Gate and, and those guys, to see it through the wings with, you know, um, you know Chris Anderson, who uh, unfortunately left us too early as well. You know, to see that relationship and to see that, you know, that development was, um, you know, was just, you know, 
but again, yeah, the sport's amazing in so many different ways. You just see the the relationships and then you know the growth uh, that people can achieve together. It's it's a lot of fun. You have really been around some great coaches, huh? Holy cow! Yeah, Eight, absolutely. Tony Resch, Dave <laughs> Muntley. We haven't even gotten into Coach Seaman yet. The Philocrosby podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today. Coach Seaman was at Penn when I was uh, at Moses Brown School in Providence, Rhode Island, and I took an official visit down to Penn, and I would talk to Tony and on the phone back in the day, so in the fall of 84, and um, played against Penn, obviously, because I went, ended up going to Brown, but... I've, I've always enjoyed Tony Seaman as a, as a person, as a thinker, mm -hmm. as a funny, as a fun guy to be around. I mean, he's such a beautiful work, oh, but yeah. tell us a little bit about coach Seaman. Oh, he, he definitely holds court, you know, whatever room he's in, he's, he's got the floor and, uh, yeah. you know, anybody around him is happy to be there, you know, with it. So, um, you know, just, a just a guy who just had everything in perspective in my mind. And, um, was was really creative and um coming in you know coming in as a as a player you know uh, to play for him as a freshman you know he he allowed you know coach volker and, and paul cantabene who was the offensive coordinator coordinator at hopkins at the time you know to kind of to run you know run their their areas um but you know would really um help orchestrate uh, everything together um but was a guy that you know, you could get to know and a guy that you could really understood, you know, uh, you always understood where you were with him, you know, and then he let you know when you're doing well, he let you know when you weren't doing well. Um, but he was also, you know, he wanted to help you get better and to, to learn and develop. Um, and then as a, you know, as a coach underneath him, you know, really opened my eyes on, on how to continue to work with young men um, in, in many different capacities. Um, again, how to try to, continue to think outside the box and be creative in certain ways on, on game planning uh, when you might not have the talent um, that you're, you know, to compete against, you know, some of the teams you're playing against and, um, but still stay competitive and, and, you know, get a competitive advantage through, you know, just being, you know, being able to, to try to out coach them and, and try to you know, out manipulate them in, in different ways and, and maneuver them. So, never afraid to take a chance. He was never afraid to, to try something new or, or different. And, um, you know, really, really appreciate that about him. And then, you know, uh, the support that he provided me uh, throughout my career and um, definitely learned a tremendous amount being underneath him. He uh, was a true innovator, still is, mm -hmm. uh, talking about him like he's not still involved in the game, but you know, everything from the Penn 10 man ride to the Penn zone to the Hopkins, you know, spaghetti uh, stacks offense to the, you know, this, it seems like I would almost give him credit for the shorties down low zone that, 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 that it kind of turned into, um, yeah. you know, um, that you don't see as much now, but you saw it quite a bit. Um, and, and right through 
to, you know, when he goes, you know, to create a final four team at Penn and then a final four bunch of them at, at Hopkins. And then again, at Towson, and the way that I don't think you were there at Towson at the time, but they pressured the snot out of people that one year. And it was just such a thing of beauty. And he just kind of kept evolving and, and um, you know, playing to his strengths and like total out of the box thinker, um, a, a really impressive guy to, I'm sure, get to know, but just to learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that was my senior year in 01 was when they had that final four team at, at Towson. And, you know, those guys just, you know, once you step down the field, they're they're in your face, you know, and they could score goals. And they had Justin Berry facing off. And um, again, he was, he was, he allowed, you know, the players to, to make plays, you know, and gave them some, you know, obviously the freedom to, to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, to have the success he did at, at three different schools obviously speaks volumes to, to him as a coach. Uh, tremendous recruiter. Um, he could talk to anybody about anything and, and had stories to, to back it all up. And, uh, people, people love him, you know, and, and still love him to this day. You know, I know I do. And uh, he's a guy that, uh, again, is, is, I think, extremely, um, you know, deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit for a, a lot of coaches out there you know, uh, that got to be around him, whether it be assistant coaches or just be around him. And then, you know, the way he, the way he is, you know, and he's still influencing, you know, uh, young men, you know, being out at Denver with the outlaws and then being down at, at St. Andrews school. So. Yeah. So when you were kind of coming up through the ranks, you had this advantage of like having all these incredible college coaches that you worked for, played for pro coaches that you, you know, played for, but, how much of what your learning curve was as a coach came from the, the players you played with and the things, the little tips that you get, you know, cause I, I think about, you know, my own developments and so much of it came from the older, the older guys from summer league from, you know, from Marty O'Neill when I played with the Boston Blazers and he's teaching me how to shoot. Um, how much of that was an impact on your career? Yeah, that was that was a lot, um, you know, especially in in the in the college days, you know, with older guys like, um, you know, Robbie Dorr, you know, that I got to to learn from, um, uh, D Midi wise, Paul Lasore, who was a, another D Mid um, along along with me, and uh, Kevin Kaiser, who played a little bit of both long stick and, and short stick during his time. So being able to, to pull different things from them uh, was huge. You know, the the college when I got into college, I mean. The team that I was around, it was the Bayhawks. <laughs> I mean, it's like it was just unbelievable being around those guys, and um, you know, just just great lacrosse players, but also guys that you know weren't afraid to to give you those little tidbits, you know. And then it was more so from the offensive guys telling yeah. you how you can be a better defender. You know, guys like Mark Millen and, and Marichek and you know, Gary Gate and then Fry and Sims and, and all these guys. I mean, I guess this could be, you know, uh, obviously a who's who all the way through. But, you know, it was really neat, you know, learning from the offensive guys at what gave them problems and, and trying to incorporate that into your game and then working with the other D guys on, on how to do that. You know, learning, learning a lot about off-ball defense from a guy like Matty Dwan, who's now the, you know, assistant or associate maybe at, at Loyola. Um, you know, he'd always joke with me coming in fresh out of college. He's like, you know, hey, you're the young buck. Grab that short stick and be ready to run around. You know, you're, you're not playing close anymore, buddy. <laughs> you got those fresh legs. Get out there. But again, 
learning how to play more team defense, maybe not so much in structure, but, you know, because the pro league, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's structure, but, you know, it's very free flowing, you know, you got to have communication and you got to have everybody on the same page. Um, so learning, learning that, you know, at a, at a shot clock pace uh, was pretty interesting overall. But um, you know, even going back to my days on the empires with Timmy Sudan, um, Jerry Byrne, Kevin Cox, who helped, helped out, you know, there, you know, just learning little things about when you're running up the field and to clear how to really protect the ball, you know, changing, changing speeds, changing gears, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, I just remember, you know, all those little, little pieces um, just help you overall. Yeah. It's really cool. Those are some great experiences. So shifting gears a little bit to defense. Um, what would you say your defensive philosophy is? You've, you've been around a ton of great coaches and, I guess the whole key is you, you take all of what you learn and you make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, we believe in, in team first defense with personal accountability, you know, of doing your job, you know, within the team defense. And um, it, it's, it's systematic with um, ability to be uh, creative, you know, within your, within your individuals. So, um, you know, we like to, again, keep it very basic. Uh, anybody that's watched us, you know, if they're trying to, to pick apart our, our defenses, you know, trying to think how many different defenses we run. Um, and I can tell you, we, we basically run three defenses, um, you know, a couple of crease slide defenses and, and a zone. And, um, you know, it comes down to really trying to, to master those. I feel like they all can be tweaked in little pieces here and there, little bits here and there, uh, according to uh, teams' systems. Um, but it's, you know, coming up through, you know, the, the defensive coaches that I've had and then learning about, you know, why it's important to take away angles, um, why, you know, how to support in, in different different areas and then, you know, different capacities, you know, driving driving guys to weak hands or, you know, playing more straight up, you know, basketball style defense, um, all those different things that have influenced me and in my approach to, to coaching defense. And, you know, I feel like I've tried to use as much as possible to, to help us be successful wherever I've been, either at Princeton or, or now at Towson um, in, in different ways. And, you know, playing, playing man-to-mans, doing shutoffs, running zones, um, you know, when Hopkins was really, you know, really dangerous when they had, uh, um, you know, Rabel and Harrison and, and Pizer at the midfield and, you know, some, some really strong attackmen, but maybe not as, as strong dodging threats. You know, we did a hybrid, you know, zone when the balls were the midfield and, and uh, man to man when the ball is the attack and then trying to extend on, on the middies and making it difficult. So, you know, really trying to, to piece it all together and, and be creative. Um, but, you know, keeping it as simple as possible, making sure the guys understand they got to be able to do their part within it to, to make sure the, the, the bigger piece, you know, the, the whole, you know, operates the right way. All right, here's a question for you as it relates to defense. Do you teach V-holds or not? I do not. Um, and it's probably a, a fault of mine uh, to not teach it well enough to, to be able to make sure a guy keeps his feet moving on an inside roll. Um, 
I've, I've been more of a, a proponent to the, the cross check hold, you know, in that, you know, and trying to steer a guy, you know, keep his momentum going upfield, but more, you know, driving him more towards the sideline. And a lot of times that's, you know, if a righty's going against a righty, it kind of helps with the inside roll as well because you're ahead of your sticks trailing you. So you can kind of defend that, defend that inside roll maybe a little bit better with it there. If it's a righty on a lefty, you got your stick head upfield. So if they're trying to turn the corner top side and get a lift and making sure that bottom hand, that trail hand is, is ready for the inside roll and, and trying to be more disciplined, you know, in that area, being wider in that spot. So. It's so interesting to watch um, the way, you know, defense has evolved in different directions. You know, I, I kind of look at the Bill Tierney model of, you know, no checking, um, let's not foul, let's just turn people, let's slide early, let's, you know, just move our feet. And, and that's just, you know, it's probably what you grew up with a lot too as moving from MIDI where you were playing that way anyways to defense and playing for Petro. But then you look on the other side and you look at like Notre Dame and how much they utilize their V holds to their advantage. And I saw Yale doing it a lot too. And I, I don't think there's necessarily a better way, but it is interesting to kind of look at it. And I was curious um, you know, your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think there's no, you know, I think both, both styles are, are very effective. Um, I, I think a lot of it, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're trying not to focus just on that, that matchup, it obviously it all comes down to all ball defense, you know, V hold obviously leaves you susceptible to an inside roll, you know, where you can't really control the guy. So your, your slide's got to be, you know, be aware and ready and, and ready to go, which, um, again, some, I know we haven't been great at it, you know, in, in those spots, you know, some, some personnel, some of our guys have been more so than others, but, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta play to what you have as well. You know, I think Jerry, you know, those guys, Coach Baxter and Jerry do a great job, you know, with their guys. It's always a trade-off. You know, you've got the, uh, you know, more susceptible to an inside roll, or you can let Lyle Thompson just feed right over your shoulder, right on right all day. You know, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. Pick your, pick your poison. Yeah. Pick your poison, always. Um, at Towson, you guys, you know, uh, had a had a great year um and you know your defense is typically tough and strong and disciplined and and it seems pretty similar i mean it, it's it's probably been nice to have a short stick like zach goodrich around for so many years <laughs> takes a little bit of pressure off it's kind of like having you know it's like having revis island guarding a wide receiver you know but um but I want to talk about offense a little bit because your offense this year really developed nicely. And I know coach Killardi does an awesome job with that, but I want to talk specifically about player development and your philosophy on, you know, on, on, on player development and making players, helping players get better. We can't do enough of that. You know, we, you know, we think, you know, investing in our own players development, you know, um, from start to, to finish throughout the course of a year, uh, you know, it's going to pay more dividends than trying to be more heavy into, you know, preparing for our opponents and, and game planning, counter reports and things like that. Um, so we, we definitely made a switch um, with our kind of year long program and, and process where we were, you know, we kind of did the traditional model way back when, 
you know, teams would, you know, start in the fall and, and right away team practice and you're, you're going hard and heavy because, you know, you got scrimmages at the end of it. And, you know, uh, then once that's over, you kind of revert back to the small groups, working on the individual work and, and developing those things and then ramping up for preseason. You know, and then I thought for a few years that that just seemed backwards. And then we decided to take kind of a leap of faith and then try to flip that. You know, why not put the investment, obviously, on the and the individual development and skill work on the front end of fall ball, allow our guys to come back and, and kind of gradually work into the to the workload of, of the team practice, but also probably helps the freshmen come in um, maybe with that with their head spinning less than it than it already is. But being able to really, really focus on the fundamentals, focus on the the smaller pieces within what we're going to need uh, within our offense and defense. And, and Coach Gallardi is one of the most innovative um, coaches I've ever been around, you know, and, and as we've talked about, I've been around a, a tremendous amount of coaches and um, it's, it's been amazing, but he is definitely one of the, the best ones and uh, continues to improve, continues to, to challenge himself to, to be better as a coach um, on the field, better as a coach off the field every day and uh, challenges me to, to be better uh, along with it. And, um, you know, he does a great job understanding who we have on the team and, and what they need, you know, and, and how that's going to fit into what we can do offensively, you know, and, and we've toyed around with, with different styles and different systems. And, you know, and we had had some guys that were a little bit better, you know, at, at two-man stuff, you know, we played some more of that. You know, when we had guys that, that needed some more space and, and needed to get downhill, you know, maybe going with a three outlook and, and developing, um, you know, not only the, the dodging aspects, but also the, you know, what you're doing off the ball, you know, and then the philosophy there is, um, you know, do your one six, you know, and then what that is. But in regards to the, the individual development, you know, we start from day one in the fall uh, after a couple of weeks of, of acclimation uh, into, into campus life, but they come in and, you know, we start with position specific work for about 45 minutes to an hour, you know, so you got the middies out there doing stuff for them. You got the attack out there doing stuff with them, you know, separate, you know, to really focus on those individual pieces, those individual positions and, and really harness in on the, the fundamentals with footwork, hand positioning on the stick, you know, where the stick needs to be when you're, you know, you're popping off the crease and able to, to catch the ball off the wing or we're just transferring the ball outside on the perimeter or you're, you're catching it, you know, uh, up top and looking to split, you know, what's your footwork, you know, there on a, you know, a pop and shoot, you know, and being able to get a step down or obviously shooting on the run and, and understanding how to torque, you know, and, and doing all different techniques from shooting on your, you know, shooting on your knees from your knees and then, you know, then, you know, stepping up and then really getting your hands back and, 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 you know, all the little pieces that need to be in place in order for opportunity, when opportunity presents itself on game day that, you know, you just drilled and drilled and drilled and, you know, that muscle memory to, to be able to be effective, um, you know, within the, the skill work piece that you put into it. The best way to make your team better is to make your players better is, is how I feel about it. You know, I mean, I think the X's and O's, you got to have them down, the team play, it's critical. But I feel like the best programs in, in Division One lacrosse develop their players, and you can actually chronicle it as the season goes on. You can just see the guys adding to their repertoire on both sides of the ball. And you can see it in practice, and then you see it in games. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and, when we get into the season, you know, we, you know, if we got an hour and a half practice, half of that, if not more, is going to be on, you know, our own development still, you know, whether it be small, small pieces or, you know, four on four or, you know, six on six, you know, we don't, we don't feel like we need to go hot and heavy into into the prep as much, you know, like you said, investing as much as, as we can on ourselves all the time. I know I started, um, you know, trying to catch up to the, to these teams. When I took over at Denver, I was like playing catch up, you know, trying to build a program. And I ended up recruiting a lot of Canadians and it, and it kind of influenced me as far as player development. And you can actually develop players to play like Canadians if you practice kind of the way they practice. And people don't, I feel like I'm sharing this with, you know, talking about this with you because I'm passionate about it, but also because I just think that there's so many coaches out there that, are, are, are maybe investing more time into the X's and the O's where there's diminishing returns when you can actually develop your kids to play like Canadians. You can develop them to be better Dodgers. And I just wanted you to speak to that a little bit. You absolutely can. Again, it, it's a two-way street, though. You know, you might have the best, best laid plan and, and, and drills and, and practices and stuff, but the, the player's got to understand and embrace it, you know, as well. You know, and he's got to be willing to – to put in the effort um, the right way. And I, I think that's obviously our challenge as coaches is making sure the players understand why, you know, understand that why this is going to help them be a better lacrosse player, why this is going to help them be a better teammate and why this is going to help us be a better team, you know? So uh, I, I don't disagree one bit. I think investing, you know, obviously we're a coach for a reason. <laughs> we want to, we yeah. want to develop young men. Uh, not just as lacrosse players, obviously, but but also as as people. Um, but we're passionate about the game of lacrosse and trying to trying to get the most out of every single one of our players is the challenge. And um, you know, nothing is more frustrating when you know a kid's graduating and you feel like you you haven't done everything you could for him, or you know you didn't get the the best out of him, and and you know why that happened um, or or how that went about. So. Um, but again, it, like I said, it's it's a two-way street, and and we got to find, you know, if the kids, you know, resistant or or maybe not fully getting it in regards to you know teaching, you know, teaching them different skill sets, you know, we got to find creative ways to to get them to to understand it and, and realize you know how effective it can be. But, Perfect segue into the next topic, which is the use of video. I mean you know, without it, you, you really would have a hard time explaining because half the time the kids think they're doing it when they're not, or they don't really understand what you meant until they see it. And, you know, the world that I've uh, really taken a deep dive into is just the digital online education, um, video analysis. Um, I'm really interested in it. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of goes without saying in Division One lacrosse, but tell us a little bit how you guys leverage video and, and what you would, what you do without it. Yeah, um, if we didn't have it, I don't think we'd be where you know where we are today with with our program and, and development. And um, again, that comes back to you know video, you know making sure we have video of every practice, you know, and reviewing that video and and being able to sit down with our players individually, sit down with um, our offenses or defenses or face-off wing player, whatever it is, and, and really break down ourselves as much as possible. And you know, players. Players always love watching themselves. I mean, you know, that's that's a fact, right? So, you know, getting them, you know, to, to do that in an individual and, and be 
uh, be critical, but in a positive way of, of what they're doing. And, you know, obviously if they're doing things well, you know, pumping that up and then why, you know, why is it going, you know, why does it look well and good? You know, what are they doing, you know, with their footwork or hands and, and you know, being able to be more smooth, you know, that positive reinforcement there, but also, you know, the, the critical assessment is, is the challenge as well and, and how guys take that. Um, but also team-wise, um, being able to, to get guys to understand how to watch film, I think is always, a, you know, always a challenge, you know, and, and we, we teach our guys, you know, in regards to, to what they should be looking at when they're watching film, you know, not just following the ball, but, you know, obviously looking off ball and, you know, free springing, you know, the action, pressing quick pause and, you know, challenging a guy, you know, Jamie, you know, we're, you know, what's, you know, what's number 32 doing, you know, in this player or what, you know, what should he be looking for? you know, in, in this, you know, in, in this series and stuff like that. So being able to, to have that, you know, kind of call response, uh, the interaction to, to keep our guys alert and focused and, and ready, you know, uh, and engaged is, is something that we enjoy doing. Um, you know, having our guys at times kind of lead some of the film session, having them talk to each other within the film and uh, what's going on in it and, and how, um, how they can make it better, how they can understand how to how to drift better. Or, you know, this is an opportunity where, you know, a guy's got a short stick and you're getting covered by a long stick and you're, you know, you're the adjacent pass, you know, you're not going to come up and set that pick. You, you know, you're getting through and, you know, doing doing simple communi communicative things like that. Getting them to see it and get communicated within the within the film sessions uh, is something that we always try to challenge ourselves on on imparting on our team and um you know the the film review uh, of ourselves is, is so critical as much as it is to you know when we get into the sequence preparing for for our opponents and seeing what they want to do and, and why they want to do it yeah filming your practices filming your games going over those i mean in high school almost everybody films games and coaches may or may not spend the time it's really hard in high school to spend the time to go through the film like you would want to uh, in college um but but you have to and if you're not um you're missing out on you know time that you'll unfortunately never get back and that's what i try to try to share with people it's like listen you got to get somebody to help you learn how to watch film and learn the game and your game you know right. two different things you know it's the game but like these are true universal truths that you need to know and there's a lot of them mm -hmm. and then there's your game what are you good at what should you focus on where are you you know, what are the best things you do? What are the things you might want to like avoid, you know, because you don't have to be great at everything. You just got to be able to play to your strengths. Um, I really enjoy doing these uh, breakdowns for athletes. No different than I did when I was a coach. I actually coached uh, high school girls across this year. I coached my daughter's team, Thunder Ridge High School. We filmed every practice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm not messing around with Thunder Ridge girls, but, uh, you know, but it's just, it's awesome. There's nothing like watching it and learning from it. Yeah. And you learn so much as a coach too. I mean, I, I've learned more from watching my own practices probably than learning from anything else. Would you Absolutely. Similar boat? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's neat. I mean, we've had, we've had some good goalie battles over the years, you know, you know, guys that have, you know, been competing, um, you know, to, to start, you know, at, at the front end or, or even during the season and, you know, being able to, to really break down, you know, the goalies, you know, every practice is, is, is eye-opening and, you know, they, 
they know it, you know, after the fact, but you know, when you're in practice, sometimes they probably forget that practice is actually being filmed. So it's like when they're just, you know, taking reps, you know, with tennis balls and then just doing certain things like that, you know, watching all those little things and they're, you know, the nuance is, is, is huge. Uh, coach Shelley and our volunteer coach who has been an awesome addition to our staff over the past couple of years, he manages our scout offense uh, during the, during the regular season. So he prepares those guys to be ready to, to play the other team's offense and, and they get, you know, certain roles and things like that. And he holds film sessions with those guys. So he, at the beginning of the week, he preps them on, you know, the other team, you know, the other team's offense, and they're watching what they're doing. And all right, you're going to be number twelve, and this is what he, you know, he likes to do, and this is where he likes to be, and this is who's going to be, you know, you're going to be going against the pole or whatever. But then during the week, he is taking on practice films and working with those guys on, on what they're doing on the field, continuing to develop, you know, our scout guys, you know, within what they're doing in practice. Because whether you're playing a scout role or or not. You're still playing the game of lacrosse, and you still got to be able to operate, you know, and, and think it and and play it at a high level, and continuing to give those guys feedback, continuing to, to give those guys praise and and, and development opportunity. Uh, we feel is, is so important for our team and program, and and those scout guys that have been amazing for us. I think from you know from the the time that he spent with them and, and developing them within their own film watching. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. What an education, you know, because they're learning the game, their game, and, you know, the way uh, Loyola plays. Right. The UMass plays. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, you know, yeah, it's three. Those guys, those guys can, can play. They can throw the ball away, you know, and, and nobody's going to really jump down their throat unless it's, you know, kind of a, a lazy. You yeah, know, unless they're killing you. You know, play <laughs> or something like that. But, like, those guys, it's, you know. As tough as it is to be on the scout team, you know, there's there's a lot of freedom and an opportunity for growth and development as well. I um I watch a, I do a fair amount of these video assessments for for players, and I would say, on the offensive side, the most com I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. The most common thing that these players need to work on, whether they're and I'm talking about guys that are like you know Division One commits and and college players to to youth players, it's being physical on offense and initiating contact as a Dodger. I would say that's maybe the, the number one thing that most kids don't do to the degree they need to. I was curious to get your opinion on that. Uh, yeah, it could be. Um, I, I don't think I've broken it down as much to, to really, you know, you know, come away with that. Um, but that's no doubt something that we know we have, or not that we know, but we definitely have to work with our guys that, that come in as freshmen, understanding, again, how to – be more physical on dodges, you know, because, you know, everybody's good. You're going to have to go against the Zach Goodriches, you know, of, of the world. And he's pretty physical. <laughs> and if you let him get the advantage and, and don't challenge him, you know, you might as well not be on the field, you know, and, and um, you're not helping, you're not helping the team, but getting them to be comfortable, you know, in those uncomfortable situations and, and being able to, to, to run through, you know, the head of a stick or, or you know, the, the bottom hand and, and be able to initiate contact, but also, you know, get to the spot that you want them to get to and yeah. be, be effective with that. And then how do you get to that spot? You know, are you, are you dummy dodging off the wing, driving upfield just to set yourself up for a roll dodge, you know, to get down the alley for, for an opportunity and knowing that you got to pay the price to be a little bit physical in that, 
but it should free you up for you know for what you want uh, on the backside of the dodge and stuff. So it's yeah. there's definitely a huge learning curve, you know, with with that. And you defensively, know, it's I think a lot of different high school kids is is off ball, you know, learning yeah. how to play off ball. Yeah, I think is you know, not, I'm not talking crease. I'm talking even just perimeter. You know, what do I do when I'm, you know, when I'm not getting the ball and the guy's dodging? If he's dodging away from me, you know, where should I be? Is he dodging towards me? Where should I be? You know, both from midfielders dodging and, and attack dodging. I mean, I'm sure you see a guy just killing grass or, or just, you know, oh. running to the ball to, to think like they're setting a pick, but just because they're uncomfortable and, and aren't sure what to do. We actually have this stat that we do for, uh, for off-ball movement. Of, we chronicle every off-ball movement that you do. And every off-ball movement that you could have done, should have done. Mm -hmm. Categorize them as A, clearing space, B, crease play, C, two-man game, D, movement away from the ball. So if the ball's on one wing and you're on the other, the ball's behind, you're out top. E, perfect spacing. So as an outlet or as a shooter, and F, if you're an X guy, hang-ups. And you just get all these letters mm -hmm. per possession. And you'll yeah. get, like, you know, three letters in what you did, you know, in the, in the movement column. And then – in the no movement column, you know, you might get, I mean, almost everybody has, you know, about 50-50 if they're decent, you know, sure. if they're not very good, then they're actually got a lot more in the no movement category. I'll send you an example. It's pretty cool. There's some like yeah, stuff on that. Yeah. Um, last topic I, I just would love to chat about a little bit is, is recruiting. I mean, when I look at lacrosse right now, it's pretty funny because, you know, the players you played with, Coat, you know, the, the, the teams you're talking about with the Bayhawks, with Mikey Powell and Marichek and Millen and Gate and Sonke and Sims and, and, you know, it's just got, you know, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. And then you look at the game now with the shot clock and, you know, you got to be able to score 20 goals, you know, to be able to win some of these games. You know, scoring 19, 18 may not be enough, you know. Right. Um, what, how does that change your view of recruiting as this game has evolved, even though it was great 15, 20 years ago, but it is clearly deeper now. Is there a difference in the way you're looking at recruiting? Um, not drastically, you know, from our perspective. Um, again, we, we still want, you know, we still want to find the guys that are willing to work, you know, have that great work ethic and, and, and high character kids. But, you know, you know, one of the things that we continue to identify, you know, that, sometimes is lacking it is the lacrosse IQ, you know, and, and kids. And I think that's something that we continue to try to put a little bit more emphasis on with our recruiting um, is, you know, some kid might be a great athlete and, you know, but he just might not, might not really understand the game, you know, and again, that's, that's a challenge for us when he gets here, you know, do you take a kid like that? Or do you take a kid who's maybe a little bit lesser of an athlete, but as, a tremendous IQ, you know, and, and just really knows, you know, what to do in all spots. And, you know, if you plus minus them, I mean, the kids through the roof, you know, in, in that regard um, with it all, it's like, you know, the, the, the kind of overall, you know, production level of, of certain players, you know, on the field is, is always interesting and, and intriguing to us. You know, I think you gotta, for, for us at Towson, we always try to find that balance, you know, um, you know, of guys that, you know, we know are going to be projects and that we're going to have to work with, but have some of those intangibles that, you know, um, you know, we, we need. Um, and then also the guys that, you know, might not pass the eye test, you know, with, with some other programs, but we feel like has just, um, you know, a, a great IQ or a great skill set, you know, that, um, 
you know, again, we know we need and, and would love to have, you know, and it works well within, you know, what we like to do at Towson. So uh, the shot clock, you know, even before it went in, you know, after after losing to UMass in the CAA championship in uh, 2018, you know, they just they just played that that transition style and then we got overly exposed at it. And um, you know, they had middies that were willing and capable to stay on the field and play and and we had guys that were going to stay on the field but really couldn't play from offense to defense and, and that hurt us um so we even before that we kind of made a, a conscious effort at the midfield to, to be a little bit more dynamic and dual purpose um and, and more complete overall you know with some of those guys that we you know we're looking at and, and trying to find that can you know, can be effective also offensively, be effective defensively, you know, wing play, those types of things. Are, are we going to, is every midfielder we were going to group completely that way? No, but, um, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, I think finding those types of guys can be extremely valuable within, I think, this new shot clock era and opportunity to be more effective in the middle of the field and, and at both ends of the field and, and utilize as much as you can of, of that 80 seconds. So you mean um, you, you, you need to be have more two-way guys, basically what you're saying? Guys that can get back and actually play defense, more than one on a line? I don't know if you need more than one because you can usually get, you know, a pole and, and, and a D midi out there. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to have just one, you know, you know, of your top six, you know, only having one of those guys, you know, can hurt you potentially. Um, so, you know, we, you know, try and we try to invest more in the middies we currently have, as well as the guys coming in of, of making sure that they understand the, the basics of, of our defense and, and, you know, how to play at both ends of the field as best they can and, and making it more of a mentality. You know, some offensive players get stuck back on defense and they're, you know, man, I don't know what I'm doing down here or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to buy in and then try to, to, to dig in and make a stop. You know, you got to have a mentality for that. And you got to know that's what the team needs you to do, you know, in that moment. And, you know, it's, it's a piece to it. And whether you're, you know, an all ball Canadian lefty attackman that got stuck back in the hole, you got to bust your butt to, you know, we might be asking you to shut that guy off. You know, you got to bust your butt to stay with them and, and not get exposed on, on those certain things. So, um, but I think, I think a lot of teams are looking at more athletic, athletic committees overall um, and, and guys that can, you know, build a net offensively because there's more opportunity for it. You know, you're generating more opportunity, generating more shots uh, with the shot clock and, you know, guys that can, can put the ball in the net are, are going to obviously like, like a Penn State this year, they're going to have, you know, a pretty good success rate, you know, with that. The, uh, the, this sort of uh, back and forth between getting more athletic and then making sure your efficiencies are where they need where they need to be. Cause at the end of the day, everyone's getting more possessions and your offense better be efficient. I mean, being a two way, being able to get back on defense is great, but you got to be able to score. And how do you balance that? Right. That's, you know, that's tough. And, uh, you know, I know we, we were able to, to be forced to do that uh, before we had Alex Woodall dominating at the face off backs. You know, we were, we were 50% at best. Um, some years we were way below that, you know, you know, maybe 35, 40% facing off. So our efficiency at both ends of the field you know, had to be on point, you know, so we were single digit turnover, you know, trying to be single digit turnover teams and, 
we never really put a number that, you know, we have to get to 10 goals or we have to hold teams to seven goals. You know, I don't, uh, I like statistics, but I don't want to put parameters on how efficient or how productive or how many opportunities we should have capitalized on either end of the field. You know, I feel like when we have the ball, we should score. Uh, when we don't have the ball, we should make a stop, you know, and then however many possessions that is, you know, kind of works out, you know, that's got to be the mentality. Um, but it's, you know, there's no doubt that uh, the efficiency factor, you know, is so important. And, and we were a bad clearing team this year. And that negated a lot of our um, face-off advantage. You know, we had turnovers off the face-off. We had turnovers after our stops on the defensive end. And maybe because we were so successful facing off, maybe we, you know, early on, we were a little careless, more careless with the ball than we needed to be. So I think, you know, again, um, you had to play to, to the best of your ability, regardless of, of how strong or weak you are, you know, in certain spots. Last question. Um, as it relates to recruiting, IQ, you talked about, you know, that's this balance between athletic enough and smart enough, basically. But how do you how do you evaluate um, IQ in a say a defenseman uh, when you don't really know what he was taught, you know? Because like sometimes, you know, they may have been taught something and you don't know if that's why they're doing what they're doing. They might actually be very coachable and smart, but they might just taught to pick up a fast break at 20 yards. Kevin Corkin referred to that as a difference without a distinction or something in, in classic <laughs> Kevin form, but. But I always found it, you know, interesting to try to figure out how to, how to recruit IQ. And it seemed like a lot of times it's like what they do with the ball can tell you a little bit about what they see, but um, maybe communication. What are you looking for? How do you figure that out um, as far as recruiting defense? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And specifically to defensive men, you know, it comes up, you know, we, we bring it up in conversations with the guys or we bring it up in conversations with their coaches, you know, just to try to learn exactly that, you know, what, you know, what types of systems that they are, are, are in, you know, and if that, if that system is similar to ours, you know, and then, you know, are they translating that into to what we've seen? If it isn't, you know, if they're a team that, um, again, um, wants to extend out and pressure and, and, you know, in certain spots and do certain things, you know, it's like, you know, we're sitting here, I could be sitting here watching a game and a guy gets, you know, extended out wide and it gets run by, you know, but like chasing the guy into the hole. It's like, well, you know, you know, got, you know, got way too aggressive way outside, but, you know, then you talk to the coaches like, well, we want that. We want to force teams into, you know, a little bit more chaos and then things like that. It's like, again, trying to try to figure that out, you know, before making, you know, you know, decision, you know, on, on kids and then the way they play and stuff is, is important because, um, again, you don't want to chastise a kid for, for trying to do, you know, what is what his coach is trying to get him to do. Right. You know, yeah. Team. So, um, again, those are those are definitely questions and, and conversations we have with it. Um, you know, but, you know, within overall IQ, you know, you feel like you can get a general idea, you know, with a guy and, and his off-ball movement, you know, when he's when he's too fast as a play from the ball defensively, whereas, you know, where is he? And again, some philosophies differ um, when he's defending the ball, you know, um, you know, his angle play, you know, and understanding how to take, you know, decent angles when a guy's dodging against them and, and um, uh, being able to make contact in certain areas of the field. 
uh, you know, but you're also, you know, you're looking at decision making on on slides, you know, if they are the guy that in my mind, you know, should be the should be the, the slide guy if they're maybe on the crease or or adjacent, you know, if there's nobody on the crease, anything like that. Are they are they just dead red and, and going right away? Or are they playing a little cat mouse? You know, I, I love seeing those guys that know how to play that little am I going, you know, I'm showing you that I'm going, but I'm not, I'm heading, I'm coming back. And, and then you turn your back and I'm, I'm coming to your backside, you know, you know, those, you know, those types of things really you know, show me a, a lot more, you know, regardless of kind of what system, you know, I think guys are playing in, you know, does a guy understand, know how to play in space when he's not on the ball and, and be effective, you know, whether it be helping to the crease or, or, you know, just simply hedging and, and taking up, you know, Taking up dodging angles, but also still being able to, to cover his man off ball and, and things like that. The ability to process what's happening because things change so quickly. Every time the ball moves, you know, people have new roles and responsibilities, and there's a you know, the ability the ability to process that is really really hard. And I feel like that is you know the. That's why some coaches do like you know they 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 look at you know how a player is communicating. Um, how a player is, are they turning their heads, uh, their posture? Are these things you're looking at as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Communication is big. You know, you don't hear a lot of it, you know, so when you do hear it, it kind of perks your ears up. Um, I was at an event this past weekend where a goalie was just an awesome communicator and uh, on point with what he was saying. I thought what he was saying was what needed to be said and, and he was really doing a great job commanding you know, the defense and, and that, you know, to me, and he happened to be a pretty good ball stopper too. So um, to me, I was just like, all right, this, you know, this kid really it seems to be almost more of a, a complete package, you know, at that time, but, you know, defensively, absolutely. You know, I know um, that was something that coach Seaman, you know, did a good job of, uh, of educating me on within recruiting and processing, you know, a kid that, maybe is, is a better off ball and communicator guy might not be a, a number one cover guy, but he's going to be a glue guy, you know, potentially within, within your defense. And, you know, we've had a few of those guys that, um, you know, just are, are very good decision makers, you know, communicate the defense well, you know, and get everybody on the same page and, and don't have to maybe carry as much of the load, you know, with having to be on the ball and then shutting down other teams, best players and, and those types of things. So, we do kind of the piece together, you know, kind of uh, a core group within recruiting classes with, you know, strong on-ball guys, you know, a guy that can kind of be a good on-ball or, or second, you know, defenseman off-ball, you know, maybe a, a really good off-ball guy. And, and if you get one each in each recruiting class, you know, you feel like you're going to, you know, be pretty good. Kind of. I've always taken that Hubbard has massive mentality. Yeah not just on the offense, but also on the defensive, you know, side of the ball. It's like, you know, you know, the, the perfect trio. It's like, you know, trying to try to, to figure those guys out, find those guys out at the recruiting class, um, you know, at both ends of the ball. Yeah. The, uh, the thing about communication that I feel like some people don't get is it's not just about being like, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot, you know. Ball yeah. back left, back left, back left. You know, that becomes just noise, you know. Yeah. The, the communication. All those other guys, you know, talking to a midi who's getting back into the hole and getting him where he needs to be and, you know, you know, making sure that, you know, guys are, are following you on slides or, you know, making sure the slider knows that you're you're behind them and right to help them out and it's yeah. all good to go. Yeah, those are, you know, that's definitely the stuff that 
you know, even with our guys, is, is a huge challenge. You know, um, as much it as you yeah. work out, and, you know, guys got to be comfortable. I know that was a, a huge challenge for me personally um, that I didn't do a good job, you know, communicating uh, as a defender, you know, throughout the majority of my college career and um, realized how much more of a benefit it was um, and how much better it actually made me as a defender when I did start to communicate. It just opened up, I felt like, my game that much more and then slowed the game down for me as, you know, when I did start to communicate more freely and then try to, when I really understood what we were trying to do better, um, you know, the, the game slowed down and, and became, um, I felt like I became a, a better player, definitely, in those moments. Awesome. Well, Nat, it's really great stuff. I really appreciate you sharing all these insights from your journey all the way through to philosophies and and into recruiting. Um, have an awesome summer. Thanks so much for coming on this podcast, and uh, hopefully I'll see you around. Absolutely. My pleasure, and uh, thanks so much for having me, Jamie. All right, Nat. Take care. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.